is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it is time uh, to go ahead and uh, talk about some important issues and hopefully have some fun. And please do me a favor and visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. There you'll see ProAmericaReport.com lets you sign up for the daily email that goes out, what you need to know, the wink, and it also lets you see these great interviews we're having. So many great interviews. So great to be with you and uh, another extraordinary time in our country. Lots to cover. We could talk about, and we will in a few moments, with Alex Newman, the plan... For the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, along with our Treasury Department, uh, to uh, work with other nations to print close to a trillion dollars of funny money. A new kind of currency meant to help uh, slow inflation, maybe, but also Alex Newman will tell you about how it's a threat uh, to our sovereignty. And we'll also talk with John Schlafly. I'm going to ask him about the subject that I'm going to talk about uh, with you now uh, and is today's uh, What You Need to Know uh, about the All-Star Game and political correctness. But... Let me first uh, say it's fun. It should be fun for you all uh, when you hear things uh, on this program and uh, and you then hear them percolating out in the world. It is months ago now, uh, probably six months ago, soon, right soon. Now, it must have been when he was out of office. So five months ago, I said, you know, maybe the move for Donald Trump is to be Speaker of the House. Because to be Speaker of the House, you need not be elected to the U.S. House of Representatives at all. It can be anyone they want. And I know this is confirmed. It's been looked at by all kinds of lawyers. The Constitution does not require that the Speaker of the House be a sitting member of any of the bodies. Can be. I think it has to be an American citizen. Likely it does because the person is the third in line for the presidency after the vice president. So, President, Vice President, Speaker of the House. And um, I said that because two reasons. One, wouldn't it be fun to see Pelosi have to hand off the gavel to Trump and him be in charge of the budget and filing bills and all? But more important, in a certain sense, is that I believe you're going to have a problem in 2022, even though it feels like everybody's upset about the direction of the country under Joe Biden. I think you're going to have trouble getting uh, people, MAGA, to vote without Trump on the ballot. They're going to find lots of reasons to be, and not the whole group. If I, I've said this to you all before. If you imagine that 75%, excuse me, that, that 100% of voters who would vote for Trump, 75% of them are old-fashioned Republicans. They're always going to vote Republican, and they do. The other 25% are new MAGA, MAGA America. And you don't have to get MAGA America to sit out. They won't sit out. 25% of them aren't going to sit out. But if just a couple percent, then you lose. So... I think Trump saying he'll be speaker gives everybody a reason to vote, including MAGA America. We'll see. But now that's all over the place. People are talking about it all the time. So uh, there you have it. Tune in here and you'll hear what's ahead of the curve. Now, I'm going to probably get in a little bit of trouble, but I'm going to say this as carefully as I can. When the African-American, very African-American centric, let's say it that way, African-American Stephen A. Smith for ESPN he, he's kind of a, he's a very opinionated guy. He's very successful. He's a very good communicator. He does these rants and raves and he goes on and on. And he takes on people. He takes on black and white. He takes on powerful and not powerful. He takes on everybody. He's got a lot of, a, he's got a lot of personality, as we'd say, my grandfather might say. And Stephen A. Smith... On Monday night, around the time that they were covering the uh, home run derby and some of the run-up, he commented that he thought it was, you know, not appropriate that uh, 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 O'Shea Otani, the famous Japanese-American pitcher and hitter for the uh, Anaheim Angels, the California Angels, they should be the they should be the California Angels, they're not the Anaheim Angels, and Stephen A. Smith, an African-American man, said. 
I really think, you know, it'd be better if the guy had no interpreter. Interpreter. He should be, um, uh, you know, in America, he should be speaking English by now. He's been here a few years. He could learn the language. Why not? He's making tens of millions of dollars. Well, the woke police got uh, all over Stephen A. Smith, and not only did he apologize, he said because of all the violence that's been happening against Asians, um, that we have to, you know, he, he didn't mean to offend anyone, and he apologized, which is crazy. Here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. we got to have more confidence in America. Over the years, we've always said English is our language, and we've always demanded that people and maybe demand is the wrong word. We always expected that people would learn English. You think of the immigrant experiences of any immigrant community. They don't want their kids to speak their native language forever. Sometimes they want them to speak it as a way to treasure it. But the stories are kind of you know commonplace about German or Italian or Mexican American families that come and they want their kids to speak English to get it to succeed. And the point here is, it is a privilege to play baseball in America. And for foreign nationals to come, it's a double privilege. If you try to go, if you went to Japan right now and you tried to field a team in Japan of more than the allotted number of foreign players, you wouldn't be allowed to. Same thing in Italy, especially with, same thing in soccer. We had a lot of coverage of the soccer in the last few weeks. You're not allowed to have 27 uh, players from other nations on your soccer and your basketball team, baseball team. Actually, I'm now I'm saying that. I want to wonder about soccer. I'm not sure what the rules are in soccer. I know it's not. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting that one wrong, at least on some of the leagues. But on baseball, in, and especially on basketball, because when you see the basketball teams in Italy, they'll have one American. Two Americans may be tops. And the rest have to be Italians. Why? Because it's an Italian league. And there's actually been people that have made an argument for a long time that, hey, shouldn't the American baseball business be for Americans first? Now, I'm not going that far right now. I am saying, however, when you benefit to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, it doesn't seem like that big a threat to ask you to learn the language. And the idea that Stephen A. Smith had to apologize, it's hard to get Stephen A. Smith to apologize. He's offended people before. And he doesn't usually back down at all. He t- he's in the mind taking on lots of sort of, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the holy uh, grail of, of stuff. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind taking on other uh, reporters, taking on other, some of the players. So what is about that? What is the lack of confidence that we can't at least acknowledge his point? He didn't say it in a way that was racist. He didn't say it was about Japanese-Americans. He didn't say that. I didn't see that part of it. If it was a longer interview, what it was quoted as he was just was saying he thought that having an interpreter was, you know, he should by now learn the language. Well, by the way, it brings me another point. A whole bunch of um, Hispanic players, they don't have interpreters. So the Japanese players get an interpreter. And again, wouldn't it be more um, appropriate? Because I think the expense of the interpreter is borne by the ball club. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to have the players learn the language? Yeah, it, the lack of confidence in this nation is extraordinary. And we have to call it and be more upfront about it because I think most Americans are probably like, yeah, I can see that. And Stephen A. Smith should say it. Why not? And he shouldn't apologize. But the elites in the culture are just absolutely going crazy and trying to make people like Stephen A. Smith apologize. And they're trying to take down William, uh, t- taking down uh, Lewis and Clark. And they're trying, oh, I meant to update you on this. J.D. Vance is running in Ohio. And J.D. Vance has had the temerity to say, uh, something, I'll summarize it, but he said, of course we have a problem with people who don't want to have families because when you don't have kids, you don't think about the future in the same way. And he said, so when we have a population decline and a declining birth rate, he said, that's a problem. 
That's what he said. That's his opinion. And they said, oh, this is offensive. And this is, uh, this is uh, how is it offensive? He's got an opinion on recognized human incentives. It's human incentive. If you have children, if you, any listeners know, if you have children, you relate to life differently than before you had children. And, you know, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying everybody relates the same way. I'm not saying it means something automatically. But in general, a society that is not replacing itself, and his point actually was there's lots of people that want to uh, not have any children, and they just don't think about the future the same way because they're not worried about what they're handing on to their children. They're not worried about their assets in the same way, handing on to their children. They're not worried about schools in the same way. He makes a pretty good point. Well, anyway, what you need to know is the political correctness, the wokeness of what made Stephen A. Smith apologize. It's on the march. It's on the march. And they're, they're only, they only had the, the baseball all-star game in uh, Colorado because they canceled Atlanta. Fulton, uh, the Atlanta uh, is it Fulton County that's right around Atlanta? You know, some extraordinary number of African-Americans live there would have benefited from having it in Atlanta. So they, they sort of uh, bit off the nose to spite their face. But they moved the, the baseball games uh, and the run-up to it, the All-Star game and some of the, uh, uh, the what they call the future games and things to uh, Colorado in order to accommodate the, uh, their political statement. And now they're chasing Stephen A. Smith back from what is an otherwise reasonable position, in my opinion. And again, here's the bigger thing. It's not so unreasonable that you have to force him to apologize. Everybody can disagree. I agree with him. But everybody else can disagree. But it's not one you have to apologize for. I just don't see it. And I I point out again this lack of confidence in our nation and in our culture and in what works is extraordinary to see. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break. Let me remind you, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. We've got great interviews uh, today. We've got John Schlafly, Alex Newman, and uh, those guys, they do do great interviews. We make sure to post them over at ProAmericaReport.com so you can go listen to them, pass them on on social media. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, great to be back. Our old friend Alex Newman is with us. And Alex has a, uh, well, he has an incredible history uh, in the conservative movement. And uh, in particular, uh, writing in the last, I'd say, decade for me on the issue of education, uh, because he really um, has crystallized that, has been writing and speaking about it for a long time. He's also the founder and the CEO of the Liberty Sentinel. Go to libertysentinel.org. And uh, he writes uh, currently at the Epoch Times, Epic Times. He's a contributor there, as well as uh, other locations, too. Welcome back, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. All right. So, Alex, let me ask you this question. You, you've you watched this. I've been sort of obsessed with this. You've watched the um, the ebb and flow of people realizing the problem with education. In fact, I kind of remember somewhat famously in my mind that you were a keynote speaker at one of our Eagle events, might have been Eagle Council, and you said, look, I've tried for a long time to say, this is probably five years ago, four years ago, you, you said, I've tried a, lo- a long time to say, reform the schools, you know, get them better, and at this point, I just can't defend that. And, and, and so, but my question is different than your position on the schools. My question is, 
in terms of activism. And my concern is that too often conservatives get fight and win a, a battle and don't realize that the war is much bigger and much longer. And on my example is Common Core. Everybody said, oh, Common Core, it's the end of the world. Let's fight it. And they rose up. They fought it. They fought it. Thought it. They changed the name, the other side. And most people forgot about it. And so where are we with the with conservatives and maybe broadly speaking, Americans understanding what's happened with our, our sort of K through 12 and uh, maybe higher ed to education? Well, I, I think we're making a lot of progress on this front, Ed. I think it is now almost a truism that the public schools are a disaster. And it's not just conservatives. It's not just Christians who recognize this. In fact, if you look at the polling data, even liberals, even teachers, right, even the teachers in the government school system know that the system is a disaster. And and we see this reflected in the outraged uh, parents coming to, to uh, school board meetings and complaining. The The real problem, though, is that a lot of these people are spinning their wheels. They think that just going to a school board and screaming at the school board members is going to fix the problem. Uh, I think on the bright side, we're moving away from that gradually. We've seen more and more really prominent individuals call on Americans to get their children out of the public schools. I remember five, six years ago when I started telling people that, that was kind of fringe, it was radical, it was unrealistic. Well, just in the last couple of years, the tide has really turned. We've seen Franklin Graham tell Christian parents to get their children out of the schools. We've seen Rush Limbaugh three times before he died, uh, telling his 18 million per day audience that you got to get your children out of the public schools. Uh, we've seen just recently Dennis Prager came out and said the most important thing you can do to save your nation is get your children out of the public schools. Uh, and, and, and even people from within the system, you know, we, we've started a new organization called Public School Exit. And one of our board members was the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Arizona. Uh, wow. She spent four years at the highest level of the education system trying to reform it, realized it couldn't be reformed. And so you're right. You know, we, we win battles as conservatives a lot of times. But if we want to win the war, we have to realize the other side has our children right now. And that's going to be the key battle. We're talking again with Alex Newman. He's an award winning uh, journalist. He's written uh, on uh, American issues internationally. His book I mentioned is Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. Um, he mentioned public school exit, which he found and also Liberty Sentinel Media. Uh, Alex, you, you know, um, I saw over at the Epic Times, which is the Epic where you're a contributor, uh, your piece a, a day or two ago, might have even been uh, earlier on uh, Tuesday, posted on the IMF plan to flood the world with liquidity. And what I'm what I want to ask you about, because one of the things you're, you're you write on all these subjects, but you're also clear eyed. And I know Phyllis Schlafly appreciate this about you on on what's happening, who who's doing what. It's not enough to be right. You got to know what's happening and what to do about it. Uh, we're now seeing the signs of inflation. We're seeing the signs of the economy, you know, uh, gas prices are up and things are stalling and never let a crisis go to waste. Now we have the government. They're going to fix it for us. And the IMF has got a plan to, to, to flood liquidity. Where, where, you know, that's a description of it. What are, what are we facing right now? Well, we're facing some really significant economic turmoil on the horizon, Ed. There's no point in sugarcoating it. Times are going to get tough. We're already starting to see this. I mean, we, we see shortages all across supply chains in building materials and food products. Uh, we, we've seen during the COVID crisis, we saw things like toilet paper run out. Uh, I think we're really just at the beginning of that. You mentioned inflation, too. I think inflation is already out of control, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. So enter the IMF. You know, you, you had governments basically take a 
wrecking ball to their own economies, to their own small companies, businesses, uh, mom and pop shops, restaurants, things like that. While the mega corporations ended up basically looting the population, people like Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, uh, just frantically screaming about everybody who questioned the lockdowns. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos is laughing all the way to the bank as he makes gazillions with Amazon. So we have uh, an economic crisis on the horizon. Uh, and we need to be prepared for that. And so what the IMF is doing now, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, Ed. This is one of the most important stories, I think, of the moment. And almost nobody is talking about it. So you've got the IMF with this plan. It's backed by Joe Biden. It's backed by Janet Yellen. It's also backed by Beijing to flood the world with this funny money. They call it special drawing rights. Uh, they use a lot of complex terminology, I think, to try to confuse people. But really what they're doing is they're creating a, a proto-global currency. Uh, it already exists, and they're about to flood the world with it. They're talking about printing $650 billion worth of this kind of pseudo-global currency that, that is in the making right now. And they're going to hand that out to governments around the world. Uh, this is basically a wealth confiscation scheme, and it is going to pave the way. I hope people will go read this article. It is going to pave the way for the sidelining of the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency, which has enormous implications for our economy, for our purchasing power, for our savings. And it is also going to pave the way for the emergence of a true global currency. Now, they've been talking about this for a decade, maybe more. Uh, but now it is coming to fruition. And that doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to go to the store and you're going to use a special drawing right to buy your groceries. But this is the direction that they're moving in. They're saying it openly, right? This isn't Alex Newman telling you this. This is them, the IMF, the UN, the World Economic Forum telling you this is the direction they're moving. And the media is just totally silent about it. So folks, you need to be paying attention. Again, we're talking with Alex Newman, and I'll put that article up on social media. It's at theepictimes.com. As I was preparing for this interview, I, I saw on, over on CNBC, they released some numbers uh, earlier on, uh, I guess it was on uh, Tuesday, um, inflation numbers climbed higher than they expected in June. Price indexes up. I mean, you know, all these kinds of things, uh, food and energy costs up, uh, gasoline, everybody knows is up. So um, what, who, who can stop it? Now, Alex, I know one answer is if the Congress and the government got control themselves and, and decided to do something they could, it, it is, is that, it, what are the other options? I mean, uh, is there a possibility that other nations can step into this? Is there a, po is there a possibility that some of the larger economies in, in the country that are at least sort of nominally run by a governor, I'm thinking of Texas maybe could do something. I mean, who can stop the IMF uh, plan? Is there going to be there's not going to be a vote in Congress on it, right? There's not. It's actually very interesting. Um, Congress is required to give its approval to uh, SDR issuances over a certain level. And so this $650 billion allocation that they're issuing is just below the level at which Congress has to give I its see. approval. Of so course. very clever of them. And, and you can be sure that Janet Yellen did that on purpose. Uh, you can also be sure that they're manipulating the numbers. If they tell you inflation is 5%, you can be 100% sure it's significantly higher than that. And so you know, what do we do about it in this situation. I do think certain states are going to be much better off than other states. Uh, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, these are the states, maybe Missouri. These are the states that are probably going to do better. But to be perfectly honest, the whole country is going to suffer severely. Uh, you know, one option for dealing with this, if it were possible, if we had you know, people with some common sense in Congress, would be for Congress to take the reins, to stop the Federal Reserve from printing money like it's going out of style, to stop spending money like it's going out of style, to stop allowing the International Monetary Fund to usurp more and more control. But realistically, uh, at least until the 2022 midterm elections, uh, we're not going to see any action on that at the national level. And so some of the things that states are doing to prepare 
prepare for this. And, and states have been preparing for this for at least a decade that I've been covering. Uh, things like making gold and silver legal tender again, removing all uh, capital gains taxes on gold and silver is, is one really significant way that states can help protect their citizens. Uh, the state of Texas actually opened up a gold bullion bank backed by the state, operated by the state, that will help them, I think, weather this storm. But to be perfectly clear, the U.S. economy is going to suffer. Uh, the U.S. dollar is going to be devalued massively. In fact, that's already happening, but I think we're just at the beginning of that. And uh, people need to take steps to prepare. You don't want to be caught flat-footed on this. Well, all right. Alex Newman, thank you. I've got to run, unfortunately. But I'll put that piece up. Alex Newman, of course, again, he's Liberty Sentinel Media is the organization he founded, but he's also now the head of Public School Exit. A lot to read from him, especially over at the Epic Times. They seem to be getting your best stuff, Alex. So congratulations. It's a great organ, great entity over there. And so we'll put this piece about the IMF up right away for people to take a look at. Appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ed. Appreciate it. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We're checking in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, is <clears throat> excuse me, one half of the dynamic duo. He is um, with his brother Andy. They do the Schlafly Report, a weekly column uh, that runs over at our sister site, townhall.com, and also is archived at phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back, John. How are you? I'm great, Ed. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. So let me first check in on this. Um, have you ever... And do you intend to ever watch the Major League Baseball All-Star Game? Uh, well, uh, I wasn't intending to watch it, but I have I have noticed this controversy about the Japanese player. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's getting really inter- it's getting really interesting, John. You know that the, the uh, uh, we're talking about Otani, the Japanese star, who is um, and and here's the one I want to get to you because I think I'll get a Schlafly answer out of this, and if you don't say the answer, I expect then I will. There is now a brewing uh, a brouhaha, and apologies already being issued. There is a, a commentator on ESPN named Stephen A. Smith, and Stephen A. Smith is a African American man. He's a pretty good commentator. He's been around for a long time, and he's kind of over the top he takes a position and he goes wild and he's a character a real character and he doesn't mind taking on some of the big timers and all but anyway he said uh, on monday night during the um, analysis of the home run derby or one of the uh, pieces of coverage he said how it was ridiculous that otani a japanese uh, native who now plays major league baseball continues after these three or four years to rely on an interpreter and that he should learn the English language and be more accessible to the fans. As he said this, uh, most of America nodded and said, I think, yeah, it makes sense. If you're going to come here and make millions of dollars and, you know, during the off season, you're still just going to throw a ball, you might learn English. And uh, and by the way, it's now been reported that he does speak English pretty well, uh, or in some, at least it's conversational. But Stephen A. Smith, an African-American man, was attacked by the media and by the cancel culture. It wasn't quite canceled but he had to do the apology tour and say he was sorry it was an insult and here's the thing that's crazy john they quoted this line again where they said he apologized and he said quote with all the violence being perpetrated against the asian community my comments albeit unintentional were clearly insensitive and regrettable john first of all have you where is the this incredible violence being perpetrated on the asian community has anybody seen that i don't understand that no it's a, it's a myth that was uh concocted a few months ago after the uh shooting in atlanta 
of the massage parlors. And the truth is that there is no evidence that there is any disproportionate level of violence against Asians in America. There is a a rising rate of urban violence in general, and uh, but there's no evidence that Asians in particular are being singled out, that they have a higher rate of victims or that they're singled out on account of their ethnicity. And the majority of the perpetrators of the violence against Asians have been the, you know, a similar profile to the perpetrators of violent crimes against other Americans. So uh, in the inner city, and we know what that is. And so Mm -hmm. there is, so there again, there is no evidence of rising violence against Asians. So it's a trumped up thing in order to try to create, you know, a new victim group, a new, a new group that is supposedly be being impressed, oppressed by the, you know, white supremacy in effect, you know, even though the greatest discrimination against Asians is in the education system and mm-hmm. educations who do well on very well on testing generally, and yet they are denied the benefits of their excellent test scores when it comes time to apply for colleges. Well, I was just going to drop a footnote. I want to get back to this story, though, that um, in, in various places, the Democrat policymakers, I think, uh, in Fairfax County, Virginia, they're going to close down a special school for gifted students. They're going to change the requirements to get in and not use testing, as you point out. And they're going to, uh, because they don't like the fact that there's 60% Asian uh, Asian American kids in there. And, and I mean, again, I you know, I, I think you go to uh, any of the Asian uh, communities, and of course, it's such a dumb thing, because they're they're very different. Vietnamese uh, community, Vietnamese Americans is different than the Chinese American communities. And and you see mostly upward mobility. But, but I want to pause. Uh, doesn't uh, Stephen A. Smith have a really good point? If you're going to make millions and millions of dollars, uh, tens of millions of dollars playing American baseball, can't you just at least learn the English language? Uh, it, I agree. And he should not have apologized. His comment was entirely fair. I mean, baseball is still... Uh, America's national pastime. And uh, yes, and of course, you know, uh, the larger story, Ed, is is we've had so many immigrants coming into baseball. They are imported by Major League Baseball. Of course, we're familiar with the with the many Dominicans. Um, I guess that's probably the largest group. Um, And they are not native English speakers either. And sometimes they struggle with English. Um, but this Japanese player is, is um, you know, he's unique kind of in terms of his. Of course, the Japanese have played have played baseball over in Japan for decades. Right, right. New to them, and finally, there's one good enough to play in our major leagues. Well, wait a second. There's been some other ones. There was uh, St. Louis Cardinals, of which you're uh, at least a nominally a fan. Had uh, So Taguchi was a very nice player there. So there's been other ones. There's no one, no one been on this stature uh, at all. I, I I can agree with that. But I, I my point is we've gotten to be such um such a sissy culture. You know, again, if you came to most people that come to America, let's say you've got a German engineer or uh, a um you know a uh, I could laugh and say a British engineer, they would want to come to America 
okay, I'm learning English. I'm kidding on the second one, but they, that, there's not a there's not a sense of oh, I'll just keep to my native language. It's it's you know you come to America, you're going to learn the language, and I, you know we have such little confidence in what's going on that we're scared of that. I mean, this is really uh, uh, beyond belief. John, I want to move on though. I want to get to this next uh, situation uh, because we're talking with John Schlafly, and he is of course half of the Schlafly Report. His mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to do it all by herself, a weekly column. Now he has to split the work with his brother, um, the uh, Harvard educa- Harvard Law School educated Andy Schlafly. So it took two uh, children to do what Phyllis did. But Phyllis Schlafly had a history of dramatic um, rallies, dramatic efforts to influence the public uh, votes, especially in state legislatures. People know the ERA battle that went on from the early 70s into the 80s. There was votes every year in Illinois and every all over the place, uh, and you had to go down there. Phyllis would bring in busloads of people, and they do all kinds of things. John, we have the Texas legislature, the Democrats, flew in a charter jet out of their state to take away the ability of the legislature to meet because there's not a quorum. Uh, We now have the governor saying they'll arrest them if they come back. I mean, it, it, it feels to me... Like it's a setup, meaning the Democrats are doing this, the, the Republicans are going to do what they should, and then the media is going to make it into uh, some, some dramatic battle. I, have we, what's happened that we've gotten to the point where legislators are fleeing the state? Um, well, uh, Ed, you know, this is not the first time. It happened in uh, Wisconsin a few years ago. Uh, Texas, even though the Republicans have the majority, Texas has a rule that a quorum is is uh, two thirds, uh, so that so the minority Democrats are able to stop the proceedings by, you know, by making a run for the border. But um, but no, they're not going to be able to get away with that. And of course, the reason they give is they're defending democracy. Now, tell me how it defends democracy to not show up to a Democratic parliamentary body and cast your vote, and you either win or you lose when the votes are counted. But no, so the Democrats are claiming they're doing this because of democracy, which is ridiculous. Well, and what's going to happen, though, John, when you're talking about Wisconsin in, in Wisconsin, was it the Democrats that left because they were upset with uh, Governor Walker and the Republican legislature? But at a certain point, the clock ticked off and they forced them back. What what happened? I mean, what 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 are the possibilities right now? I mean, can it be that they stay out of state for uh, the amount of time to block what I think is also either statutory or perhaps constitutionally the period of time that they have to to be in? I mean, could they could they be impeached? I mean, what are the possibilities? Do you know? Uh, you know, I don't know if they in, think they can stay out for the entire length of the special session, which does have an expiration date. Um, uh I think they are trying to make a national point. The Democrats are, as you know, have been desperate to seize upon election integrity uh, as an issue. And they think the passage of election integrity uh, laws in states like Georgia uh, and now Texas will somehow, you know, benefit the Democrats by portraying the the Republicans has engaged in voter suppression. I don't think that narrative is working. I really don't, because the number one uh, provision of voter integrity is voter ID, and voter ID is overwhelmingly popular. Over 60% of Democrats support voter ID, and that means that voters have to to prove they really are who they say they are when they cast their ballot. And when they 
if they cast an early vote or an absentee vote, then there have to be extra special provisions in order to preserve the chain of custody and ensure that the uh, integrity of that ballot is preserved all the way from the voter to the counting machine. So this has got to go forward. This has got to pass. You know, uh, uh, half a dozen other states have passed it, and now it's time for Georgia to do that. Uh, we're t- I mean, Texas. Yeah, Texas. We're talking with uh, John Schlafly uh, for the Schlafly Report over at townhall.com. Uh, John, one last question. I'm running out of time. Uh, I know a few weeks ago when Donald Trump gave a rally uh, speech, I think it was on a Saturday, I asked you, and you had not seen it live, and you'd seen only pieces of it. Did you see him speak at CPAC this past weekend? Uh, yes, he gave a good speech at CPAC, and it, it was, uh, you know, it was a stump speech, really, uh, held at the Texas version of CPAC, CPAC, which is a little different from the traditional one. But uh, I thought his speech was good, and he hit the usual high points. So, because I was saying, I used it as a data point that when John Schlafly, who had watched a lot of Trump's speeches, didn't see the one a few weeks ago. So you're back on this one. If you had to bet, $10 bet, you had to bet, does he run for president? Today. You have to bet today. Yes, I think he does. I think he does, Ed. And for one thing, there really is no alternative to Donald Trump uh, at this point. Uh, it's true that uh, when they took a straw poll without Trump on the ballot, uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida won that. But I don't think DeSantis is ready to be president. I think he needs to get reelected in Florida and uh, continue to show what can be done at the state level. The national level, really, there's only Trump, I think. Trump knows where the after his first term, he knows where the bodies are buried. And in the second term, he can dig those, dig up those <laughs> bodies and finally achieve justice and do what should have been done in the first term. Well, there you have it. John Schlafly is predicting um, that Donald Trump will run. We'll have to leave for another time, John, the uh, question of uh, Donald Trump for Speaker of the House. I know that that has come up. We ta- I talked about it on the radio show months ago. You and I have talked about it. It seems to be getting some traction. Matt Gates has mentioned it. Well, maybe, maybe that'll be a column topic, and uh, we'll talk about it next time. Thank you for the time, John. Thank you, Ed. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Representative Liz Cheney is the epitome of the swamp. On January 3rd, she circulated a 21-page memo criticizing challenges to the election procedures whereby millions of inadequately verified mail-in ballots were counted for Joe Biden. Cheney did nothing for election integrity while interfering with those who were attempting to stop election fraud. Later, it was disclosed that she was the person who secretly arranged for an anti-Trump letter to be signed by 10 former defense secretaries, each with their own personal grudges against Trump. In mid-January, Cheney led nine other House Republicans in voting for the second impeachment of Donald Trump a few days before he left office. After taking so many actions against the interest of the Republican grassroots, It should come as no surprise that Liz Cheney was stripped of her position in House leadership. As Representative Jim Banks put it, she's failed in her mission as the chief spokesperson of our party. Banks serves as chairman of the 153-member Republican Study Committee, which is the largest Republican caucus in the House. Despite widespread criticism of Cheney, she continues to speak virulently against Trump. 
Trump received nearly 20% more votes than her father or any Bush ever did. I can't imagine why anyone would think there's a successful political future in the globalist policies of Cheney and Bush rather than the America First policies of the immensely popular Donald Trump. Cheney lasted this long because Karl Rove supports those who support her, such as Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, who benefited from a fundraising event headlined by Rove. Though Kinzinger is in northern Illinois and Rove is from Texas, the shadow network of donors whom Rove controls lined up to support this never-Trumper. Apparently, Liz Cheney thought she was invincible with the high-roller donors backing her up, but that proved not to be the case. The culture within the Republican Party is changing, and any would-be candidate would do well to take note. The America First mindset is the way of the future for an electorate tired of anti-American policies. No donor is wealthy enough to overturn the increasing passion of conservative patriots. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, chairman Helen Marie Taylor, treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, you all have heard me talk about a woman named Abigail Shire. Uh, we have had Abigail Shire on the show a couple of times. Um, she wrote a book a few years ago. It was um, an extraordinary book. I remember reading it and thinking, this is a really interesting woman. Um, she is, a, I think she was a journalist at um, uh, the Wall Street Journal and other places, a writer. You know, not a journalist, she was a writer there. And she wrote, the book is called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing our daughters came out in 2020 and um, she has been uh, it's it's been shadow banned it's been it's not been banned it's been knocked down by Amazon she's been attacked it's it's a crazy thing to see and she's very effective she's a very good writer She's written in the Wall Street Journal, as I mentioned a couple times. I saw her pieces on um, on on something other than uh, politics. It's just she's a very good writer, very good communicator, and she's kind of in this space. Well, she's also now got her voice, if I can say, and her voice is she's talking and she's making sense, and she just you can feel it. She wrote a piece. She's over at Substack, uh, Substack dot com. I know people have heard about it. It's a, a place where people write. You can subscribe to their stuff. Sometimes they have a service that's paid, and sometimes it's unpaid. And she's over there, and she wrote a piece a couple days ago the title is want to save america question mark don't act like a conservative and then the subtitle is chest thumpers and aw shucks conservatives personify the rights love affair with losing and she goes into a description of chris rufo who is a a a, a gadfly uh policy guy who has been the leader in fighting critical race theory he he's i don't know if he's got a phd or what but he's also a very good communicator very good writer and everywhere you turn around he just fights 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 and chris rufo is not afraid not afraid on social media not afraid testifying before democrats he's just a tough tough dude and he's now being attacked 
because all across the country, people call Christopher Rufo. He comes in and says, this is what's wrong with critical race theory. This is what you can do. Here's steps you can take. And he's being attacked. The New York Times is writing uh, uh, pieces, hit pieces on him. And actually, one of the things he did was he took one of their attacks and he um, uh, he he they, they actually did a hit piece on him and he broke it down and he demanded that they change. It might have been the Washington Post it, that changed a bunch of the quotes. They basically had to rewrite the article uh, that was supposed to be a hit piece into less than a hit piece. And now, as uh, as um, Abigail Schreier points out, he's being profiled or being attacked in the New York Times, but they won't do it by name because they want to hide behind it. But anyway, so she writes, and here's the point of this piece, and I'll, I'll, I don't want to dwell on it. I've asked her to come on the show to talk about it. She categor- she cat- she describes how Republicans will use Twitter to say, oh, I'm fighting, you know, and they'll even use hearings. She brings up Senator uh, Lankford of Oklahoma's uh, interview with uh, Secretary Javier Basa- Becerra of the uh, Health and Human Services uh, Department. And she, she says, you know, Becerra is redefining the word mother, calling it, uh, I forget the phrase, it's ridiculous to even repeat it. And she says, instead of fighting, he has this all oh, Shucks, this is really bad. You know what can you do? And he said, "Oh, birthing people. They're calling mothers birthing people because they don't want they don't want they want they want to be politically correct." And what Abigail Schreier goes through is, you cannot fight in this old-fashioned way. This aw shucks, oh, let me ask a few questions, what do you think? And she finishes the essay, it's a lengthy essay, and you can see in there, she's talking about her experience with schools, she's talking about the the issues that are coming around, she's talking about um, the, uh, uh, the um, problems, but she finishes with a phrase, with phrases that she says, when a member of the administration places words, mother with birthing people, you don't awe shucks as if you're encountering the last native speaker of Etruscan. You're faced with a direct assault on women in the family and you respond in kind. And then she says, and you must dislodge from your head the misguided notion that the point of standing up for what's right is to own lives. If you uh, let's see, which um, the uh, the the but the her point is that's the quote I wanted to get. Her point is you got to fight back. You got to fight back. And so it's a good one. It's a good essay. I'll put it up on social media, and you should take a look at it. All right, let me say thank you. Great to have Noah, our fearless producer, back. He was on vacation for a few days, assignment. And great to have him back, Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.